0: This is the Uncovered Dish Christian
1: Leadership Podcast. The podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. Hello everyone, this is the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast, the podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. And we are your hosts, James Lee. And Caitlin Deal. So for the upcoming Laity Leadership Academy, we have Eric Velosin coming in to teach a track on creating your church website. Is that true, Eric? Yes. Yes. But today, we're not going to be talking about that. Well, maybe a little bit at the end. But today, I actually, we wanted to talk about how we can incorporate old media, old forms of art, and new forms of technology, and mesh them together to enhance our worship experience. Sounds pretty crazy, though. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm really interested, because new and old media is, like, really... I'm not really sure what that means. So you're gonna have to really define that for me. (laughs) Um, But first, you know, can you tell us a little about yourself? Sure,
2: Uh, I guess it's probably worth noting I'm an artist primarily. So that's kind of my entry point into Mm -hmm. this subject matter. Um, I'm a lifelong United Methodist. I grew up in the New Jersey annual conference, um, went to Drew University for my undergraduate, and then Montclair State University for my Master's of Fine Arts. Um, The whole The whole time that I've been in art, I've been really interested in the intersection of art and faith, Um, but really until grad school, I had a hard time figuring out what that actually looks like to take an honest approach to it that does... N- uh, neither a disservice to the art or the faith. Right, um, right. So many times you see watered down faith in order to have good art, or watered down art in order to have good faith. Mm-hmm. Just by sheer uh, means to an end, I ended up using a, a digital, digital projector for one of my projects, um, and it started to feel really necessary to me that I take a look at what does it mean that this digital projector is projecting this 14th century theology. And what does it mean for my 14th century theology now that we're not in the 14th century and um, we've got things like postmodernism and cyberspace? I started to really take a look at distilling down to the primary experience of of spiritual experience, of mystical experience, mm-hmm. um, and how can we approach that from a contemporarily responsible Perspective. When you say 14th century theology, can you just clarify that as opposed
1: to postmodernism?
2: Sure. So I I guess I had been reading a lot of, um, for example, Meister Eckhart um, and people, medieval theologians that very much rely on Plato and uh, Greek Neoplatonic theology and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we find out is that basically a lot of the way they saw the world um, is insidiously infused in the way we see the world, except that we don't know it is. And so when our, when globalism happens and our worldviews shift, our theology often doesn't make that leap with us, mm. and then we end up at odds with ourselves, and we don't even know it. Right. Cut to the end of the story. I I uh, tried to take new media and old media, these new technologies and these conventional, traditional ways of approaching the divine, and put them together and see how I can come at facilitating um, spiritual experience through these newer technologies. What are some examples of kind of
1: old media that you're referring to and this new media? So so can you guys clarify what, what you you see sure. falls under the category of old traditional forms of uh,
2: media and worship and then what new forms are? Uh, take old media like painting and stained glass, for example, mm-hmm. both very traditionally steeped in religious um tradition um they've been around for as long as art and christianity have been around right right i tried to start thinking about ways to visually negate what we can comprehend um and i through a whole bunch of studio experiments i kind of stumbled onto this discovery that by blending painted color with projected color you can create these color blends if you take complementary colors so the opposites of each other on a color wheel blue and orange if you mix them and they're perfectly calibrated it'll turn out to be neutral gray Mm. so if you take all the different colors that you're working with and blend them perfectly with their complements you can get all these different colors to be neutral gray so for instance if you
1: had you're saying if you had like a purple painted square let's say and you project a yellow square on top of it exactly you would get yeah you would get a like a white gray yeah exactly
2: and and so if you can calibrate that for the considering the ambient light in the room and all of that stuff what I've actually done is I've created a body of work where it does negate out into basically a gray field Hmm. but then when you walk in front of the projector your shadow blocks your body blocks the projected part of that color blend So you actually reveal the color in your shadow. So where you'd think, I'm obstructing the image, you're actually revealing the image. And in your shadow, you get the color rather than the darkness. Um, I feel like there's a sermon there. I would hope. (laughs) I hope, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that sort of light-based, projection-based media is already very theologically charged so i'm trying to capture that but using contemporary projection rather than traditional projection
0: so there's this term you know um i think we saw use is the techno sublime i thought it was a band actually at first i was like that's a good name right i I think sublime (laughs) is a band name sorry another i was like james isn't like a band Like (laughs) they've upgraded
2: to techno sublime (laughs)
0: techno sublime so (laughs) what is that
2: well, it's going to be my new band now. But, um, <laughs> uh, so it's actually it's a term that an art critic Hal Foster coined, um, and it means a sublime effect that's pushed through technological mediation. Increasingly, we're finding out that perhaps it could be argued that all experience is mediated. Um, and everything comes through a mediator a medium something we we don't experience anything directly even our brains and our eyes are mediating something that we experience so looking at how do we have these experiences considering that they sometimes are pushed through mediation mediation or are necessarily pushed through mediation. And how do you have a sublime experience that's hyper-mediated? Because now we live in a hyper-mediated world where we have 30,000 screens at our disposal at every given moment and mm. cyberspace is all around mm-hmm. us. And-
1: so you're saying how do we ex- experience the divine in today's context, basically? Basically, yeah.
2: <clears throat> Interesting.
1: So I'm, I'm curious how this all plays in on a Sunday morning experience in a local church, right? So my understanding is that you have begun applying some of these uh, ideas and these forms of art in your worship experience in your church, right?
2: Yeah, in in a few churches. Um, On one hand, you can use technology and these new tools as a supplement to the worship experience um, or like a resource for the worship experience Mm -hmm. Um, or you can use them as a facilitator for the experience itself, a carrier for the experience itself. Um, And I think being clear about those two things is important, um, because on one hand, you might be, for example, creating a website or engaging on social media, but there's also the idea of it carrying the worship experience in the moment. Um, And I think we need to remember that the worship experience is exactly meant to be experiential. And so thinking about how to deliver that experience, how to help people get into a place where they are open to experiencing God. Yeah. You know, what are some examples of
1: actually, instead so not just using these uh, forms of media for supplementing the worship sure. experience, but actually facilitating it? What are some examples of that?
2: What a lot of people are doing um, to great effect with projectors is actually using it to create an ambiance, using it to create an environment. Rather than just projecting words onto a screen, maybe you just need to project a color. Maybe you need to project an environment, um, some sort of uh, imagery. You can almost think of it in terms of theater design, right? When, mm-hmm. when, a, a, when something is happening on stage, um, they're not projecting the words that they're saying. They're projecting mm-hmm. an environment behind them to help you feel what's being said. Mm-hmm. So thinking of it as a total package where the visuals um, go hand in hand with what you're hearing, um, what you're seeing, so that, that kind of brings me to this idea of a multi-sensory experience. Um, so what media can we use that provide a multi-sensory experience? Not only auditory, but visual, um, perhaps touch, perhaps smell.
0: That's really interesting.
2: Yeah. So interesting you mentioned all the
1: different sensories as well, because um, I'm serving a local church right now, and uh, we also rent out the space to a uh, Coptic church. In the Coptic church uh, worship experience, um, Incense is a very big part mm, yeah. of the worship experience. The, the priest would walk around just spinning this little, the incense it was, was the coming censor, out of yeah. right, the censer. And um, they said something to the extent of it represents uh, the womb of Mary holding Jesus. Hmm. And how as we, as we spread this aroma, we are spread, spreading the aroma of the spirit. Hmm.
2: Which actually is a really, <laughs> a really interesting point because those are only effective if you're in on the symbolism.
1: Mm, right, right. And so
2: that's another thing we have to be very careful, especially as we're welping, welcoming new visitors, is making sure that it's, it's accessible, because we don't want to be so loaded in visual splendor and symbolism that it's opaque to anybody who's not on the inside. Right, right. I did a. I was commissioned to do a temporary installation in a church that had a um, kind of distinguished uh, slant to their altar space. Um, up in their chancel area and so I I did an interactive projection mapped onto that ceiling space so this this divine imagery that's creating the altar space is actually compiled of the congregants themselves Mm -hmm. um and then as you walk up to experience it, because of the nature of projection, the medium itself and its limitations, it pixelates and dissolves the closer you get. So you have this same, going back to my sort of mystical theology of the closer you try and get to it, the more elusive it becomes, the more unknowable it becomes. And that was really nice for people on a sort of um, gut experiential uh, level. But in order for them to really appreciate it, I also had a, um, a contemplative service where that was the focus of it Um, and I led meditations and prayers based around that so they had time to spend with that (laughs) undistracted I also had an artist talk where I gave them the background behind why I did it and how I did it and fielded questions so that people aren't versed in art generally even artists aren't versed in art sometimes Um, so having an entry point where people can feel comfortable to ask silly questions Mm -hmm. um, and explain my theology behind my choices um, Mm. So, trying to make it a more well-rounded experience that's accessible to the people who don't get it, but also give space for people who do get it to just experience it. Wow,
0: that's really fascinating. I, I kind of want to go to that church. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, we some church was We actually have some projectors here. You might <laughs> yeah, well. This
2: was actually uh, is a church called uh, Trinity United Church in Warren, New Jersey. It was a uh, it's a Presbyterian and UCC church. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's unfortunately the installation is down now. It was a temporary installation, but.
0: That's really cool. That is just an experience. You're just not going to church on Sunday at night. You're going. It's an experience. Right. It's a different experience. And that's really fascinating. Now, how if somebody wanted to do this in their church, how can they go about doing it?
2: Um, Well, the first thing I would say is if you're interested in um, creating sort of like a artistic experience is. Partner with artists. Mm -hmm. Um, Pastors are really good at being pastors. They don't have to be really good at being artists. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, everyone has different gifts, and it's really important to utilize the gifts in the body of your congregation. Um, And there are often very gifted people in a lot of things you don't know they're gifted at. Mm. And so if you allow people to bring their gifts forward and say, what are you passionate about doing and how can we use that? Um, You'll get better ideas than I can give you. you know, this came about for me because they found out in that church that I'm an artist mm-hmm. and they said, hey, you're doing some interesting stuff. Off. Can you do interesting stuff with <laughs> yeah, us? Yeah. Um, but no one on that worship team would have mm-hmm. thought of what I thought of, just like I wouldn't think of what mm-hmm. someone else in a congregation might think of. So being open to the gifts of your congregants and partnering with them, coming alongside them mm-hmm. and supporting their vision um even outside of your church, um, partner with local artists. Uh, artists are always looking for opportunities. Um, there, are, there are a few churches and institutions that do artists in residence programs, um, where you know, even if nothing else, it's great resume fodder for an artist to have an artist-in-residence position, where they can use this church as their artistic playground to some hmm. pre-agreed upon, you know, yeah. uh, situation. Um, And then the church can sponsor that that person's art by endorsing it and um, saying like, you know, giving them exposure, but then also allowing the discussion that brings other people into it on a more accessible level as well as, Mm. as I was trying to say before. So in the churches where you're experimenting
1: with these different worship experiences, say at Trinity Church in Warren, uh, what was like the feedback you got from the worshipers?
2: Well, you always get a mixed bag, right? Anytime you're trying something new, you get a mixed bag. There's always (laughs) some that push back and there's always some that think it's the best thing that's ever happened. Um, And... So there were some that said, well, that was nice, but I totally didn't get it. Um, and those are the people that I encouraged to come. Hey, next week we're having an artist talk. Come back and let me tell you about it and see if you appreciate it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, we And I had people who came and said that this totally transformed their way of experiencing God on that Sunday, and that they noticed things that they'd never noticed before. Um, One person was struck by the interconnectedness of everyone, saying that I realized that I was watching what I thought was myself, and it turned out to be someone else in that image, that it was their color shape that was moving, not mine. And I started to realize that they and I, our colors, were mixing, and we were becoming some sort of interconnected color. Um, it's so
0: powerful. I don't know, just listen to it. It's so powerful, like the experience that they had.
1: I think that's very, uh, what you, the experience that they you're just describing now, I feel it's very applicable mm-hmm. to today as well. Yes,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, you know, it's something that I've thought a lot about is that art in itself, I've referred to it before as um, empathy training. Because really at its heart, art is about asking the questions and exploring the questions that are most fundamental to your understanding of the world, these matters of ultimate concern that really keep you up at night and make you think, you know, how does this world work? How does this universe work? And so for you to put art out into the world requires that someone else step into that worldview, to to step into your shoes and try and see the world from your perspective for the moment that they're viewing that art. Mm -hmm. And in order to successfully make art, you have to be thinking about other people how they're going to receive it, how they're going to see it. So you're constantly putting, whether you're making or viewing art, constantly putting yourself into someone else's shoes and trying to see a different worldview. Increasing our use of art, whatever the medium, visual or otherwise, um, and really thoughtful, conceptual-based art, not just pretty pictures of flowers, but something that's really trying to dig into deep stuff, um, helps us understand each other on a human level and on an empathic level. Um, and it starts to bridge those gaps. And you start to see that <laughs> much much to the chagrin of the 14th century Neoplatonists, um, truth is actually a colliding of worldviews, right? Truth is the messy intersection of a bunch of different people's interpretations of life um, mm. and how God is shown through that, mm. um, where God breaks into the, where the rubber hits the road of all of these intersecting worldviews. Amen. <laughs>
0: I just uh, you're going like to church. All right, I'll see you later,
2: guys I I know, know. Like, <laughs> my
0: right there. Oh my goodness. Um so why is it important, you know, you touched a lot on this before, but why is it important for churches to really explore different media, you know, for worship?
2: Well, I think the in the 70s there's a media theorist Marshall McLuhan who's become kind of the poster boy for media theory. He said it best when he said the medium is the message. Um we cannot communicate without the medium affecting what we're communicating um the the example i gave once uh, at a uh, a workshop i led at the drew university's uh, drew theological school summer music institute it was i showed a picture of um a note a handwritten note kind of in bubbly letters that said um uh, meet me at the park at 7 p.m um, smiley Whoa. face, Whoa. Wink, you know, winking face. Oh, Hey, yeah, right? and it, was on, it was on red paper. And, and, uh, and then I showed the exact same writing, the same message, meet me at the park at six o'clock, um, at sunset winking face but in cut and pasted magazine letters mm. and it looked like a ransom note right <laughs> and and you start to think oh this is actually a threat and if i don't show up <laughs> someone's going to get severely injured wow um, the content is the same mm. the medium changed and the message totally changed wow so you cannot divorce the content from the medium and think your message is going to be the same so when we use projection just because it's the new hip thing or when we use a bulletin because that's what we've always used We're putting a lot of time and effort into content Pastors are thinking endlessly about how to link the songs that they choose to the scriptures that they choose to the sermon that they're gonna Give put this whole package together, but we're not often paying much attention to the medium that's delivering it to people and how that medium is changing it for people
1: Mm.
2: What does it mean for that same content to be delivered as a video as opposed to something auditory? Mm. Um, There's a fantastic book on this by Shane Hoops called Flickering Pixels. And it's a look into a Christian uh, interpretation of media theory and how the medium affects the Christian message.
0: What was that book
2: uh, called? Flickering Pixels by Shane Hoops.
0: (laughs) Flickering
1: Pixels. I mean, from everything you're talking about, uh, right away, the question I want to ask you is, is the medium of preaching at a pulpit dead? Ooh, that's a
2: great question.
0: We're getting deep now. James is breaking out the good ones. So back in the,
2: the you know pre-print era, um, before the printing press, we had more of an oral culture. As we know, the Bible stories were passed down more through oral tradition. And what this did was this created an oral understanding. The medium created an oral understanding of theology. And the way we experience sound is very different than the way we experience print, right? It's immersive. It's all around us. It's undefined. It's very hard to pinpoint where a sound is coming from or what that sound is unless you pair it with other senses as well. Mm-hmm. So we have this, this uh, experience of God as being this undefinable, immersive experience. Then, when the printing press comes along, this totally revolutionized and democratized our access to theology, right? Everyone who could read could now figure out theology for themselves to some extent but what it also did was it got us used to experiencing God in a print fashion which is orderly which is sequenced which is syllogistic one thing um, if a is so and B is so then a plus B equals C all of the you know the, these things are ordered and from left to right and it's expected and it's predictable and if it's not logically coherent you can throw it away we start to apply that to our understanding of God mm-hmm. if it's not, Definable and boxable and logically consistent, you can throw it away. And if it's not ordered and sequential and visual because we read it, um, we don't trust it as much. Mm. Right? So now our experience of God, it, it, what it has done, we even started organizing our pews that way. right? We, we actually, if you do look at a set of pews from above, it looks like text on a page. You've got the title wow, up yeah. at the top where the preacher mm-hmm. is standing. And then you've got <laughs> literally horizontal lines from left to right going down the page yeah. of pews. Um, we actually experience our entire, whereas if you look at, um, for example, a Quaker service, which relies much less on text and much more on um, silence and experience, they have circular Formats and their their focus is inwardness and uh, interiority. So they they actually structure their churches to have an interior structure. Mm. Right, right. Um, So we've actually completely rewired our brains in the way that we experience theology because of the medium of print. Mm. Um, And so there's no telling exactly how we're rewiring our brains with the medium of the internet. That's scary. Um, <laughs> but not all of print is bad, right? Mm. And it's not all the internet is bad. And so can we figure out and really think critically about what is the impact that this is having, both short-term and long-term, and how do we then use that thoughtfully to mm. be just as logically consistent with our sermon as our song choice and our uh, scripture readings are? Mm. That's not an easy answer, but it's hopefully a useful question. No, it's not. And actually, my question was kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek,
1: but uh, thank you for <laughs> answering it in a very, uh, very interesting way. Yeah, um, I because I wrestle with that because it is such a traditional, old form of media. I still feel there is some impact there, but I, I think perhaps going into the Techno Sublime and mm-hmm. what you were talking thus far, maybe... The medium, the, this old medium of preaching or speaking, should not exist in it of itself hmm. or a stand alone in the worship experience. Perhaps I
2: should I be suspect integrated. That in... the days of it being the f- primary focal point are f- on their last legs. Mm. Um, if you look at media culture in general, we've moved from a one-to-many approach to a many-to-many approach. Um, mm. One-to-many being like there's the one figure head who disseminates information to the masses, mass media culture. You've got the, uh, you know, the Robert baron newspaper leader who disseminates truth to the masses. Mm. But now we have social media. We have a many-to-many experience where each person who receives that news is just as capable of producing their own news. Mm, um, right. And not only can they talk back to the person giving the news, but they can talk to each other in sort of a Lateral mm-hmm. crisscrossing of intersecting many-to-many many sources. Yeah. So I suspect that that's why people's ex- attention spans for sermons are shorter. You know, when John yeah. John Wesley preached for hours at an end and people were riveted. Right, um, right. Now good, it's like good luck twenty doing minutes that today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, twenty minutes. You, you get pitchforks <laughs> if your sermon goes over. Um, so I think. Being mindful of the need for a many-to-many, user-definable approach to the sermon mm-hmm. might be an interesting challenge.
1: Hmm. Yeah. No. No easy answers here. Right. <laughs> Sorry. No. No, but it's yeah. Hopefully, if you're on the treadmill right now and listening to this, hopefully, it will just get you thinking a little bit more about Sunday. All right. Let's shift for a little moment um, and talk about. The, just briefly, the workshop you will be giving at mm-hmm. Lady Leadership Academy on creating a church website, from everything we talked about today, my guess is that it's not just going to be like a WordPress training.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, there there will be a little bit of uh, practical technical training, um, but part of what I want to focus on is the intangibles behind what makes a website successful: mm-hmm. um, branding, um, the you know user interface, and strategies behind uh, trends in website design, and basically. Uh, what what groundwork has to be laid before the HTML code can ever be put in place? Mm-hmm. So that that's a lot of what I think at least part of the the workshop is going to be
0: And who it should come like who are the people that should be targeted that you know Obviously lay members, but those who have a passion for it, those who are already involved or interested in You know starting a website. Is it intermediate beginners?
2: Y- yeah, all of the above. Um, I'm I'm gearing it more towards beginners. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming that people aren't going to come in full-stack coders. and <laughs> um, I'm also assuming that these are not even webmasters, these are people who have been stuck with a website and now have to maintain it. Um, but it, I, I, I think it will be applicable to people, even outside of the practical web design um, element, but also how do you brand your church, how do you market your church in a general... Uh, we're going to be talking about the three C's of branding. Um, and what that looks like translating the mission statement of a church and our theology to something that we can put on a website.
1: Have you seen a church with a website that in and of itself is a worship experience and an artistic worship experience?
2: Wow. Um,
0: told you it's early, but he's breaking out the big guns (laughs) today. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh, didn't seem too good last night. So I'm just like, well, I'll tell you what, if you do that, it'll be a really, really interesting website. Um, I mean, so I can tell you how I approach it from an artistic standpoint, but this doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. translate to website design. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used the internet as a, a medium for facilitating a spiritual experience. Um, for example, I've used, uh, I've made hand-drawn mandalas, which are meditative images that come out of um, uh, both Eastern and Western religious traditions, um, and the idea is to meditate on these images, and as you get to the center, you find truth. Um, Again, in my postmodern pushback of that centralized notion of truth, I have confounded that by taking a, uh, functioning QR code, which is those square barcodes that you see on a lot of advertisements and stuff that you can scan with your phone, um, and drawing that into the mandala. So it's conflating this religious imagery with a QR code. And when you scan it, it actually launches you somewhere into cyberspace to complete this meditation. Um, and the, oh, wow. in, in particular, the one that I, I was starting to talk about, it, the code that I put in launches you to a randomized website. So every time you scan it, it sends you somewhere completely different. Oh, wow. So it's opening you up to the idea that truth is not just found in the center of this drawing, it's found anywhere you end up, and it's up to you to find out where the theological content in that destination is, um, to think that maybe God can show up even on a website, even in cyberspace, as well as in your physical interaction with this this visual object in front of you.
0: Mm. Wow, that's so fascinating.
2: <laughs> but, but then going back to what you were saying about how
1: art needs to be explained as well, right? If I were to make a church website w- with this, you know, mm-hmm. I think it'll just... Tick people off a little bit. And we're, we're, sure, very possible. Every time I, <laughs> I click this link that you tell me to click at the center of this mandala, sending me to a different website every
2: time. <laughs> sure, right. Which is which is but why... See, I
0: would keep doing it. They need like somebody's <laughs> I'm like the one where you have to flip like flip over, flip back. I'll be like the one that keeps coming back and forth on that person. Right. which I'll is admit that. <laughs>
2: Which is why that approach makes sense for my worldview and my theology and my you know specific application does not make sense for a church's websites. Uh, you have to pair your strategy with your goals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So think about just the way that you're thinking about what kind of maybe immersive projection is the right projection to help people feel the emotional content of what is being said at that moment.
1: Wow.
2: What are you trying to communicate through your website, and how do you get people to experience that in your website as well, not mm. just read it? Um, it could be something as just your color palette, or your font selection. Or it could be something really interactive, JavaScript-based that you know you get some crazy programmer to do for you that has never been seen before, and you blaze a trail in website design. Who knows? 560 churches. One of you could do it. <laughs> Partner <laughs> with your lady, there. right? I mean, yeah. how many large congregations probably have a full team of coders that they don't know about? Right, right. Um, how many people are hobbyist uh, technologists, right? I mean, the the DIY culture, the do-it-yourself culture is more and more pervasive. And a lot of people have hidden skill sets. Um, and if you can tap into what your congregants can do that they're not letting on about, that they might be passionate about, that might be really interested to work with the church in doing. Um, However, they might not know that's a need. And Mm -hmm. so they're not gonna bring it forth unless you, but it also, of course, that goes into the relational aspect of of ministry. You have to get to know your congregation Mm -hmm. on a tell me what's beneath the surface that you're not Mm -hmm. readily telling people kind of level.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's the journey that pastors are making and going through every week after week, right? Trying to understand the dynamics of every single congregant, what their gifts are, what their callings are, and trying to draw them all out and put it together and see what comes out of the community.
2: Yeah, you only have to have a really deep, interpersonal, intimate relationship with anywhere from 20 to 3,000 people. I don't understand what's so hard about it. (laughs) Yeah. You know. there's the
1: pastoring say <laughs> <laughs> so in your church you want to try something new and you're want to introduce a projector, but I know a lot of churches that people say no, we can't set up the projector. it's going to get in the way of this and that or right or you can't block the cross or there's a lot of pushback when it comes to introducing new technology. Right. Yeah.
2: So what do you do there? First of all, get a small team of people behind you before you just do it. Um, (laughs) But but also tie it to a temporary event that has a clearly defined endpoint. Okay. So people who don't like it know that it's not lasting forever. Um, For example, tie it to a sermon series um, or tie it to a youth event people let kids get away with a lot and so if you want to do something really outside of the box have the kids lead it. Mm -hmm. I think one thing to remember is that all old media that we're used to was once new media and probably shocking Mm -hmm. to a lot of people.
0: Mm.
2: It's just constantly a hurdle we have to jump over Mm -hmm. Um, otherwise we just get stuck in the mud. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You do want to sort of in some senses give them no choice but to at least experience it. They don't have to keep it but at least be exposed to it. Um, Try it on. Um, and try and do it in a graceful way, and with the support of as many people as you can, obviously. Um, but the the cutting-edge, scary new media of today is going to be the stick-in-the-mud technology of tomorrow. So we might as well start putting our sticks in the mud now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Is, is there anything else you wanted to
1: share with us today, Eric?
2: Um, well, if you're interested in checking out some of my artwork in person early in September at the Watchung Art Center in uh, Watchung, New Jersey, I'm going to be part of a group show there where I'm going to be showing some of my uh, techno sublime artwork, if you will. Um, and then, uh, if you happen to be out in, in uh, Mississippi listening to this podcast right now in October, <laughs> I have a, uh, a solo show at a new media gallery just uh, outside of the University of Mississippi in Oxford, Mississippi, in October uh, October twenty fourth. Hey,
0: awesome.
2: wonderful. Great.
1: So, uh, Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Our My mind has been just blown <laughs> uh, this morning. It's a great way to start the morning. So. <laughs>
2: it's bef- my pleasure.
1: Before we finish, though, we do have a last question Uh-oh. that we ask all our guests. You want to do it? So,
0: um, yes. So if you can choose one, because the Uncovered Dish, I try to explain the context, so uh-huh. <laughs> I'm uh-huh. learning from you already. Um, because Uncovered Dish, and we're mathless, we like to eat, so if you could pick one type of food, um, no variations, and you can only oh. eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the rest of your life, what would it be?
2: Does manna from heaven count? Oh,
0: what is it? <laughs> manna from heaven?
2: Manna, manna, manna from heaven? What is can, that? No, from it's the biblical uh, That's
0: why. <laughs> some
2: Old Testament uh, nourishing dew that I can collect. and. <laughs>
0: I'm like is this a new food i don't
2: know <laughs> get some uh, holy spirit going on maybe wow that's the that's the most biblical answer we've
1: got.
2: <laughs> I, I think i think what we were trying to get at is something more pizza, of like your payment. favorite food <laughs> i mean I, I guess i'll yeah so i could take pizza answer. that's fine
0: pizza
1: you said manna so what what, what manna what
2: Well, I mean, I feel like it's the best of both worlds because it's it's physically sustaining, according to Scripture. um, But it's got to taste pretty interesting if it's actually coming from God directly, right? If it's Mm -hmm. physically manifested from heaven. um, And I I think there's some culinary intrigue to it. No one knows exactly what it was or what it was made of, right? That's true. Um, I, I think it would be a pretty useful and versatile food source and if i'm gonna have it for every meal you know i want to go with something divine so
1: well i mean to to get biblical on you though um the the uh, Hebrews got really sick of it after a while. That's and they true. wanted meat. Point. And they were like complaining. They're like, oh, this is all we're going to eat. Ah. And then God had to provide quails. So maybe it's not something you want to have for the rest of your life. But that's, hey, that's true. But hey, it's,
2: it's, yeah. But if it can lead me to a closer reliance on God as a result of my disgust of this decision today, then uh, maybe it's worth it. All right.
1: So there's the discussion. <laughs> the most biblical answer we've got on the uncovered dish manna from heaven. All right. Eric, thank you so much for being on the show again. Thank we you. were with Eric Velosin. He is an artist. Uh, you can find out more about Eric at ericvelosin.com. That's uh, E-R-I-C-V-A-L-O-S-I-N.com. And you could also meet Eric at the Lady Leadership Academy. He will be giving a uh, teaching a track on creating a website. Again, that's the Lady Leadership Academy. That's September 9th. You could register uh, today at gnjumc.org. All right. Eric, Thank thanks for so being much. on the Thank show. You very Thank All you much. All right. God. And, uh, you know, I hope you have a good beach day, too, after. You should probably <laughs> hang out. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Eric.
0: Thank you again for tuning in today's podcast. If there are any topics you'd like us to uncover or any comments for us, you can email them to podcast at gnjumc.org. We will be posting a new podcast every other Wednesday. So if you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe to be up to date on the latest episodes.